that brings a smile to my face. I don't know about you. Good job, bud. Good job. Well, we have uh, something special this morning before we get into Psalm chapter 5. Uh, Christine Holst is back from her mission trip overseas, and, and uh, we've been praying for her for several months, many months, and she's here to present a little bit today just to let us know how that went and what she did, and, and then uh, we'll have a prayer time not only for her, but, but for the ministry that she, she did overseas and, and what she left there, and we'll pray for uh, the crew staff that, that is there still building up and, and getting ready to, to make disciples of all nations. So if you would with me, welcome Christine Hulse. Come on up, Christine. Good morning. Okay. I always try and um, unintentionally abandon my notes when I start talking, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to try and stick to them today. Um, well, it's great to be back. Um, I arrived back in the United States about a month and a half ago now, and then our family schedule has been a little bit all over the place. So um, it's nice to finally be in church this Sunday and get to see you all. Um, so a lot of you have kind of an idea of what I did for the last 10 months, but I thought I'd give a quick summary just to catch you all up, and so we're all on the same page. So for the last 10 months, I have been working with Crew, formerly Campus Crusade for Christ, and we have been working with university students um, in seven different countries in nine different cities over that past 10 months. And so... Pretty much all of the campuses that we were on during that time um, did not have any kind of Christian movement on the campus. And so our goal was to each month go to a different city and campuses in that city and look for students who were passionate about sharing their faith and wanted to start something on their campus. So we'd be there for a month and then we'd move places. So that's a, a broad overview of what we did over the last 10 months. And so when I was thinking about what to share, um, kind of what I learned, how I've changed, there's so many things. And so uh, I started to get very complicated and, you know, have bullet points. But I decided, no, keep it simple and keep it God-centered. So I boiled um, kind of what I learned over the past 10 months down into two points. And uh, the first one is that God is at work. Uh, this was basically the cornerstone of my team's ministry and my ministry over the past 10 months um, because everywhere we went, God was already doing something. We weren't really starting anything as coming alongside people and churches who were already following after God. Um, some stories that come to mind to give example of this. The first is uh, I was in Russia in our second month of ministry, and um, one of my Russian student friends had introduced me to another of her friends, Nadia. And this girl, Nadia, did not speak a word of English, and I spoke five words of Russian, so we had Google Translate. <laughs> that was our connection. And, um, and then my Russian friend would also translate for us, but my Russian translator left, and so I was sitting across the table from Nadia and, you know, just smiling at each other because we can't talk. And I see her typing something on her phone and she slides it across and it's just one sentence. And the sentence is like, my dream is revival for Russia. And I was just like, wow, you know, God is already at work here and I get to encourage and come alongside. 
So that's one story. Uh, the second story is we were in Vienna, Austria. Uh, we had two weeks there where we were going to find students who wanted to start a ministry. So major time crunch, you know. And so the last day that we were there, um, we found maybe like one student, but um, we had met up with a girl named Pamela. And whenever you're going to a meeting with a student, you don't always really know what's going to happen. They could not be interested. They could already be involved. So I usually would try and go in with, without expectation. And so I sat down with Pamela, and we started talking about what her dream was for how God wanted to use her and kind of what we did. And she said, um, at the end of the conversation, she said, I wanted to share my faith with my friends, but I didn't know how until you guys came. It's like an answer to prayer. So again, a student who already has a dream, God is already working in that we got to come alongside and encourage. And everywhere we went, this happened. It, was, it wasn't our team. It wasn't our incredible strategy. It was really just God was already at work everywhere we went, and we were open to joining alongside him. So first thing I learned, God is at work everywhere. Second thing um, is that God can do immeasurably, immeasurably more than I ever expected with less than I ever imagined. And so um, when I think about this year, I, I just think of kind of a lack um, we had a lack of time. We were usually in places for less than one month. Lack of language. You know, you got to find people who speak English because I don't speak Russian, Slovak, Serbian. Um, we were foreign, so we didn't really have a great grasp of culture, although you learn. Uh, lack of a plan. Like, we had a general strategy, you know, find students who are passionate about God, but then <laughs> what is that actually? Uh, and then honestly, lack of ability. And um, for myself personally, I don't always display it, but I'm very naturally shy. And um, if you don't believe me, our first day of ministry in Slovakia, uh, we just finished training. We were on a campus. We were going to go find some students who wanted to join a ministry. And, and we were in these dorms, very Soviet looking. It's raining outside. There's like two bare light bulbs illuminating the cement hallways. And we were just knocking on doors to see if we could find people to talk to. And most of them were empty. And I was honestly grateful because <laughs> I was terrified and I didn't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> so we get to this one door and I'm kind of listening. And I'm like, okay, I think there's signs of life in this door. So I knocked and I kind of hear a voice and I'm like, oh my gosh, I think, I think it's a guy in there. And for some reason, like, my little panicked brain could not handle that there was a person who was also male. So I just, like, sprinted down the hallway away from the door I just knocked on. I was like, Michelle, get out of there. There's some, you know, which is so ridiculous because that was the point. But that's what I mean by lack of ability is that I am not naturally one to seek out strangers in the street or knock on dorms. Um, it was a struggle every day for me to do it. But God did more with my, like, totally constrained ability than I could have ever imagined, and through my team. Um, so I thought I'd share a few statistics from the year, just because I kind of hate the concept of statistics, but they do provide a way, honestly, to give a lot of glory to God and get a scope of kind of what he was allowed to do. So over the year, we talked to over 10,000 students, my team of nine. And we got to share the gospel 633 times. We found 36 of those students 
who um, wanted to start a movement in their own country, and six students indicated decisions that they wanted to, start, to follow Jesus. So again, when I read those, I was like, oh my gosh, none of that was me or really my team. That was all God doing immeasurably more than I expected with less than I imagined. And so those are the two main lessons that I learned. And this year was big on transferable concepts. Like you never want to do something in ministry that a student can't do or a student can't apply. You always want it to be transferable. And I believe that both these things are completely transferable to my life back in the United States, not being on mission into every, everyone's lives here. Um, that if we trust that God is at work and we're looking for ways to come alongside him and that we trust that God can do more with our limited abilities, um, I think those are things that I definitely want to continue applying and really like living into, and hopefully that is an encouragement for you all as well. Thank you. Yes, Lori and I are very proud of her, and uh, happy to have her home. Um, so we as a church and a mission committee have also... Um, really been wanting to make prayer a priority for our church. And that's uh, at least once a month or more. We're trying to just pray together, and that's what we're going to do now. Um, uh, Christine identified some bullet points that we're going to pray for. I also want you to look in your bulletin. Um, there is a great insert there that says, Missionaries We Support. Okay, so this uh, we've been working on this. Um, a uh, fair amount of effort went into, not on my part, but on other people's part. And it's a really, really slick handout. These are actually the folks that we do support on a regular basis. Um, if you look through it, it'll list who they are, where they are, their goals, some of their needs, some of their prayer requests. And again, what I love about this is if you look through this, there's going to be locals, things like choices and ministry right here. There's things in other parts of even the state, like at Chico, uh, University of Cal State Chico. Um, and also there's international things across the world, which I think that's the vision that we desire here at our church, is to be able to have that vision, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, and to the othermost ends of the earth. Um, that's what Jesus tells us, and that's what we want to do. Um, so I strongly encourage you to take this home, put it in your Bible, and use it on a regular basis during your prayer time. You know, pick one and just pray for it, and it's a very powerful tool and very special. Um, but let's go to the Lord in prayer right now, and we're going to pray. And um, Father, we're just, again, thankful um, for being here this morning. Thank you for just loving us so much. And God, as we just listened to um, lives changed, and, and just as Christine shared of her opportunities across many countries and many things, Lord, you went before her. Father, we just pray now for... Um, for the ministry uh, that she had the opportunity to share in Russia. Father, we just again thank you also for the key volunteers, for the KVs, Lord, that, that took those challenges and are, are interested in just growing in their faith, God. 
We pray for them now. Father, we just thank you, too, for just the many lives that were touched in specifically Romania, God, and we just pray for the key volunteers and the ministry there, Lord. We just pray for them now. Father, we just, again, thank you for allowing us to come together in a free country and just to celebrate celebrate Jesus, Lord. And we just pray for our brothers and sisters across the globe, Lord, that are under persecution. God, that you would just give us those opportunities to pray for them, to encourage them, Lord. And we just thank you that um, you are there and you are here. And God, we are all in this together, Lord. And we just thank you for our church. God, we just pray that we would be your hands and feet here in Mount Shasta and across the world. God, we just, uh, again, lift this morning to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Good morning. Good to see you. If you could turn your Bible to Psalm chapter 5, I'd appreciate it. Psalm chapter 5. Super important uh, is the emphasis to pray, and certainly for missionaries and those who are serving uh, as missionaries in uh, different places around the world or even the country. Um, I want to just read this on the front of this pamphlet. Uh, there's, a, there's a Bible verse from the Acts chapter 13. It says, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the end of the earth. And that's, that's the goal. When we think about what, what is our goal as a, as a church, as a body, it's that we would bring salvation, God's salvation, to the ends of the earth, that we would be a light uh, to those dark places. And, and when we come and we gather on Sunday morning, when we meet together, uh, it's that we might be encouraged and strengthened and empowered and, and emboldened in our faith, right? That we might grow and, and conform ourselves in the image of Christ uh, so we can be a brighter light wherever we go. Uh, and one of, the, one of the truths that we, we need to hold on to and continue to be reminded about is that as we leave, as we walk out these doors, and as we leave, we are each entering a mission field. Amen? That we are going out uh, to be a light in the darkness. So anyway, we are going to start uh, back up in Psalm chapter, chapter 5 today. We're going to cover one, one psalm today. Um, we'll try to kind of keep it brief, but uh, 
will do it justice. We are in the summer of Psalms, and uh, I've told you we're going to do this all summer long. Through Labor Day, I don't know how far we're going to get. We're just going to plug away until we get where we are, and then uh, we'll pick it up next summer as well. Um, the, the Psalms are, are an expression of prayer and overflow of praise from the heart, and uh, as we read them, it's something certain we can, we can learn, uh, we can take to heart, and we can learn how to exalt exalt Christ more in our day-to-day lives. Um, this, this psalm, this particular psalm, Psalm chapter 5, uh, is, is helping us kind of get a perspective on, on a high view of God and have a high view of God. You know, in, in life, I think people go through life normally with mostly a high view of themselves, right? We, we, tend, we tend to have a high view of ourselves, or, or we want to have a higher view of ourselves. So we try to make ourselves better or look better or, or acquire more or whatever it takes. We want to be the ones that are viewed highly. Now, when we enter faith, we come to that place where we know, well, Jesus is, is actually God, and he's the one I need to put my faith and trust in. We, we need to start elevating someone else besides ourselves, and we need to actually let us decrease, right? And, and as we, we decrease and he increases, there's something that happens. We, we have a high view of God, but, and we're going to look at this perspective today that David had as well, but it, it goes well for us in life. Because if I don't, if I don't let myself decrease and him increase, and we kind of stay at what I would feel is an equal playing ground. Like, oh yeah, Jesus is my homeboy, right? That's that old hat that came out. He's my homeboy. He's my friend. He's my pal. See, he's more than that, isn't he? Jesus is more than just a pal that you, you, you hang, out, hang out with. And, and for us, if we just have him as a pal that we hang out with, a lot of responsibility, a lot of weight, a lot of burden is put back on our own shoulders. And see, Jesus has come that we, we would have life to the fullest in him, and because of him, not because of something you have done or because of something I have done or, or we've achieved or accomplished. It's all about what he has accomplished. So we're going to look at Psalm 5 today. We're going to, we're going to try to gain a perspective um, and, and, and see how deficient we really are, but to see how, how great he is in our lives. Okay, So we're in Psalm chapter 5. We'll go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll read that psalm. Father, we thank you for... This day, we thank you for the opportunity you give us to study your word and to glean from it. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds right now to be receptive to it. That we would be challenged by it and changed by it. We'd be transformed and renewed. God, if there's, if there's sin or an evil way in us, that you would convict us of that. God, we would turn from it and run to you. God, we know we are so deficient. God, remind us of that. Remind us how how fulfilling you are, and how you give us a full hope and a joy that will never disappoint. We trust you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So some things a high, a high view of God reminds us of is what we're going to cover today. We're going to read chapter 5 first, okay? Psalm chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my sign. Pay attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For I pray to you. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you and watch expectantly. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. The boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people. But I enter your house by the abundance of your faithful love. I bow down toward your holy temple in reverential awe of you. Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my adversaries. Make your way straight before me. 
For there is nothing reliable in what they say. Destruction is within them. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. Punish them, God. Let them fall by their own schemes. Drive them out because of their many crimes, for they rebel against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them shout for joy forever. May you shelter them, and may, may those who love your name boast about you. For you, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him with favor like a shield. Now, as we, as we look at this psalm, as we take it apart, there's kind of five sections here. There are three sections that focus on, on God, on, on a relationship with God, and, and on, on exalting him and, and going to him for ultimate comfort and satisfaction. And there are two sections here we find that we see judgment, right? We see kind of a warning to those who might be readers of this, who, who may hear this or see this. There's a warning there. And, and there, there is actually, there are enemies of God. And we've talked about that in the last few weeks as we've progressed through psalms. But there, there are enemies of God. There are enemies of the gospel. God has enemies. And, and when we, we talk about it, we, I don't know where this was even mentioned, um, so I'm not putting it on the spot if it was you. Someone, someone talked about not wanting to, to use the word hate, hatred, right? Or, you know, and, and it's kind of one of those strong words, isn't it? But we, and and I, I heard that. I'm like, oh, man, you're, you're not going to like the sermon this week because it's in the Bible. We're reading that, right? What, what does God say there? Yeah, he says he hates evildoers. You hate all evildoers. And see, we have to... We have to reconcile that and understand that and, and get, get to know what is he talking about here because that doesn't sound like the loving God I know. But as we see today, as we look at this, this high view of God, it will, it will reveal itself as, as the most supreme loving thing he can do because he is God, all right? So let's, let's kind of break this down. We'll start in verse 1, uh, 1 through 3. Uh, a high view of God reminds us, number one, that he is our king, that he is our king, Let's read the passage, 1 through 3. It says, Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my sighing. Pay attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for I pray to you. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the, uh, in the, in the morning, I plead my case to you, and I watch expectantly. Now see, the, a high view of God should give us this perspective that he is our king. And when we approach our king, we can do so confidently because we know that we will receive grace and mercy in our time of need. We see that in Hebrews as well, right? We can do it confidently, but we do it humbly because he's still the king. He's still the king. He's, he's not just a chum, although we are now made friends of God. He's not just our chum. He is still the king of kings and lord of lords on his throne, ready to, ready to give grace and mercy to us in our time of need. So when we approach God, we don't demand our own way. When, when David starts to pray here, one of the things he's, he's saying is, God, would you consider my requests? You know, I've, I've been around people who, and I've, I've heard prayers before where people start to pray and, and, and they start commanding the Holy Spirit to do things. They start telling God what he should do. I'm like, that, that seems like a little bit of a role reversal, doesn't it to you? That when I come before God, I come humbly on my knees, confidently, but humbly on my knees, because I want to beseech him or, and let him consider my requests. And my hope is, when I come before him humbly, that as I do, my, my, my prayers are, are aligning with my heart, and my heart is aligning with God's heart. And that what I ask of him would be what he wants to happen. But even though even when I do, then I, then I wait. The psalmist says, I wait expectantly, Right? I watch expectantly. I, I, I'm not just giving orders and, and you better do this or else, God. God, We go to God saying, God, consider, 
consider from the depths of my heart this request. Align that request, align my heart with your heart, and then I will watch and wait expectantly for your answer, God. And whatever you answer, whatever you answer, I'm okay with that because you're God. Amen? So we have to be okay with God's answer. See, we go to God and people say, oh, I've prayed, I've prayed, I've prayed, and I never hear God. And what really you're not, you're not understanding is he is saying something. But maybe he's saying no. Maybe he's saying not yet. Maybe he's saying that's not quite how this is going to work. Just wait and see. The only thing we can trust about God is he is, he is still our king. He is still... He's still leading and guiding. He's still directing. He still has sovereignty over us. And he has a sovereign plan that he will accomplish if we would watch expectantly for that. We don't demand our own way. We ask him that he would consider our request. And, and listen, he's not just a king, right? This, we have to understand this point. He's not just a king. What is he? He's the king. And he's not just the king. The scripture here says that he is my king. He is my God. See, he is ours. It, it's, not, it's not just that we have become his subjects, but that he has become our king. And that's a high view of God. It's not just that I'm a royal subject of his and I have to do everything he says. It's that I can come before him as my God, as my king. That there's a personal attribute to that, isn't there? We enter a personal relationship with the King of Kings and can humbly approach His throne of grace with confidence. And we see kind of four different ways in this as David approaches in prayer. And I think it's kind of how our heart works. Let's look at this. Uh, there's four different ways. We see it with words. He says, listen to my words, Lord, right? So we come to Him with words. We speak. And it's, it's, I think it's greater sometimes when we speak out loud because it helps our mind and heart hear each other and kind of connect the dots and kind of adjust and align back to God. I, when, I think, when I say things out loud or when I, when I you know, talk in the mirror about something I'm going to say coming up, I, I can kind of correct and rethink and realign. Like, well, that's not quite the view I have. I thought, well, I need to re, reshape that and restructure that. So with words, I, I use words. Uh, I'll, I'll be down driving downtown or driving on the freeway, and I, I swear people will go by me thinking I'm on a you know, cell phone like wireless thing because I'm just in my car talking to myself. Right, out loud, and, and I have to be careful. I'll stop at a stop sign or stoplight, and the window's down, you know, it's summertime, and I'm in there, in there talking to myself. But I'm not really talking to myself. I'm praying to God out loud using words because I want that to, to go out so I can hear it and align it back to Him. He says, I pray with words. The next thing He says, with our sighs, He says, consider my sighing. Right, there's a depth inside of us, there's a, a gut from the gut and from the heart that, that we, we hurt or we feel, that we're moved. And there are days I, I can't get words out when I'm praying, and I, I, just, oh, I just sigh. I just sigh, and I wonder what, what to say. And listen, he knows what my heart is saying, even before I can get the words out. He knows what my heart is saying. And then it goes further on that. I sigh, and then he says, he, says, uh, he helps us, or, or another approach is with our helpless sorrow or our cries. He says, pay attention to the sound of my cry. My cries. And, and this word is like, it's, it's a weeping cry. It's the crying out loud in distress. Save me, rescue me, I'm going to die. It's that kind of cry we're talking about. It's not that I'm just speaking more loudly. It's speaking desperately out of sorrow and helplessness. 
And I, and I want you to think of the progression even as a child. Because those kind of cries have a special place in the heart of a parent, right? And our cries to God have a special place in the heart of our Father. You know, I think about my kids, how they, how they communicate or how they express themselves or their needs or their, their deep downs, right? Sometimes it starts with a sigh. You, they might get frustrated with something or, or see something or not understand something or their brother or sister might do something to them, right? And, and they, they start, oh, oh. You, hear, you hear it, you hear the, the groan, right? Or maybe they fall down or, and something takes their breath away and they don't, you know how you fall down and you scrape your knee? And you don't feel it right away. So there's a sigh. And then what comes after the sigh? A cry. And it's one of those deep cries. I mean, when you skin your knee on the concrete, it's one of those deep cries, those, those wails, right? It's that piercing cry that stirs the father's heart to run and pick the child up and put him, put him or her in his arms and hold him safe and secure. You see, that's what we're talking about. When we cry out to the Lord, it is out of our distress and our helpless sorrow. And God hears that as a good, good father. He's stirred by that. And then as we get our, our words or even our mumbles out to him, as, as we get our signs out to him, as we cry to him, it sets us up for the next phase of this. It is a, a, a prepared and expectant heart. A prepared and expectant heart. You see how he prayed? He says, in the morning, Lord, uh, you hear my voice. In the morning, what did he say? I plead my case to you and watch expectantly. See, there's a time when, when all of this emotion and feeling comes together finally and, and our heart aligns with God and we prepare now what we really want to say and what we really want God to consider. And it's like pleading a case. Uh, advocates or lawyers who go into a case, right, Defendants don't, shouldn't go into a case unprepared to argue that case. They should do all the research necessary, have interviewed all the witnesses necessary, have everything, all their ducks in a row. And David said that, God, when I sit with you in the morning, now I'm, I've prepared my heart now, I'm prepared, I'm well prepared to plead my case with you. I've aligned my heart with yours and I want to plead my case before you. I want to let you have everything that I have so you can see it fully now. You know, it's, I, I, I put a quote on social media this week about this and about how sometimes we just kind of flippantly say a prayer and throw it out there. And I think there, there are some really responsive or re reactionary prayers that I pray sometimes. God, help me, right? And, and I, that's good. God hears that. It's not that he's not hearing that. But what, what I want my heart to do and where I want my heart to go is to a place where I have, I have prepared my heart to approach God. And that he has refined my heart and he's aligned my heart with his word and the truth of his scripture so I can approach God with confidence in what I'm, what I'm requesting. That preparation is, and continued alignment with my heart with God is the thing that actually kindles a constant fire of faith in me. That keeps that, faith, that fire of faith burning in me longer. It's not just a spark and a big flame and it goes away. It's a constant alignment with the heart, my heart to God's heart in prayer careful. It's careful meditation before our prayers, right? We line our heart with God and then hopeful expectation after. I think sometimes we're too often, actually, we, we sit, send a prayer up there and we don't watch, right? We send a prayer up there and say, well, I just, it's on my heart, I'll pray for it. And then we don't watch. God wants us to watch. Don't waste our waiting. Watch and see. When I pray in the morning, God, give me opportunity to share and be a light for you. I better be ready to watch for the areas he wants me to share and be a light for him. 
See, there's, there's a confident expectation that he's going to answer that prayer. And it, and it doesn't need to be like a brick or a two-by-four across the head. That we would align our hearts with his, we'd make our requests known to God, and that we would wait and watch expectantly, knowing that he is going to answer us. And I want to be ready for that answer. So I can either maybe realign my heart with his because it was, I was a little off. right? Or I could, I could find comfort from him because I'm going to have to have a little more strength to keep enduring what's going on before me. Or I'm going to see the opportunity in front of me because God placed someone in my life because I prayed for it. And there they are. And now it's time to share and love that person towards Jesus. Expectant prayer. We watch expectantly for the way your king will answer you. See, this is a high view of God, that he is our king and he is our good father. He's the one that can be approached with careful prayers and hopeful expectation. The next part we see here, a high view of God reminds us that he is holy. That he is holy. Let's look at the next section, verses 4 through 6. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. Now, do we, we, we know that, right? We believe that. We read that like, oh, that makes total sense, right? I'll read it again. For you're not a God who delights in wickedness, right? We know that God Almighty is not a God who delights in wickedness. He doesn't rejoice and get excited about people doing all kinds of evil, right? We get that. Evil cannot dwell with you, right? He's perfect and holy and pure. He can't be around that. That's, that can't dwell with him. That, and we're all good with that. And then we get a little bit squirmy because of what's next, right? Why do we get squirmy? It says, the boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people. This is, this is true, right? There's been a chasm created, a, a canyon between us and God because of sin, because of the evil in our heart, the wickedness in our heart. When, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, Sin, sin entered the world and death entered the world and separation entered the world. What happened to Adam and Eve? Right, The curse was put upon them. You will now surely die, both physically and spiritually, and you will be separated from me. You have to get out of my paradise because you can't dwell with me because you are full of sin. God and God is not. It's just nature. It's his nature. In his holiness and perfection, he can't be around sin. And and. In our minds, we're like, oh yeah, God is holy. We, we, we love the fact God is a holy God. That there's someone that, that has it all together, that, that gets it perfectly, that, that, that is perfect and pure. That, that brings us comfort on some level, right? But then we read like this, oh, well, that, that fact that brings us comfort also brings despair because if he's holy, there's stuff that's not holy. If there's stuff that's pure and stuff that he loves, there's stuff that he hates also. And there's, that's the wickedness in the world. He hates that. There's a hatred and a wrath that God must bear towards sin. He must because he's holy. He must because he's just. If he wasn't bearing wrath towards sin, he wouldn't be a holy God. He would be just another person that's maybe a little better than us. You know, we, we give grace a lot, and grace is something we should give, and God gives grace, but he gives it through Jesus. What does that mean? That he, he took what we deserve, that, that wrath that he was going to bear on sin towards us. In his love, because he is holy, he had to punish it. 
and he punished it on Jesus, right? He crushed Jesus instead of us. And that's the hope that we have, right? That's the excitement we have. That's the joy that we have. It's in God, in Christ, punishing our sins on him instead of punishing them on us, amen? That we can be free, and that's the love of God. That's the hope that we have, the joy that we have because of what God has accomplished. But he is holy, and he cannot tolerate or dwell with the sinful. You think about it this way. Christ can't dwell in us if the devil resides in our heart. Right? If Satan is our king, if the one, if one we're following is, the, is, is demons and Satan, God can't dwell there. We, talk, we think about the idea of, of having two masters, right? You're going to serve one and not the other, or hate the other, or you'll serve the other and hate the one. But we can't serve them both at the same time. And that's the same thing. It's like water and oil. God can't exist, and God can't be in the presence and dwell with sin. He can't dwell with sin because he is holy. And this goes back this goes back to Psalm 1 when, when we were presented with two ways, right? In Psalm 1, how happy is the one who does not, right? We had a, does not do, walk with the wicked, right? Stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, right, it goes into his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. There are two paths, two ways of influence. I can be influenced by, by wickedness and evil and, and plant myself there and plant my heart there. Or I can be influenced by, by him, by righteousness, and holiness, and goodness, and plant myself there. And there's two choices to make. Many, 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 many have chosen the way of the wicked. They've chosen to walk in the advice of the wicked, to stand in the pathway of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. And we have to understand, and David continues to warn, God is holy. And the reason it's here is if we say, well, God is, God's our king, but he doesn't really care if you really mess up. He doesn't really care if, you're, if your heart's not aligned with his. He doesn't really care if your heart isn't pure. Then what, what, what have we done with this high view of God? We've taken it down a few notches, haven't we? And that's not what we're intending to do. We're, we're intend, intending to have a high view of God because he is the glorious one. And you look at the description here, there's words in here. It starts with uh, chapter uh, verse 4, verse 5. It says, the boastful cannot stand in your sight, right? That's pride. There's pride there that keeps people from God. I, I, I'm my own king. I'm my own God. I can figure it out. I don't need God. They, they reject him. They're pride. It says you hate evildoers, right? That's, that's actually people who are actively sinning. That's with their hands, with their feet, with their actions. They're workers of iniquity, other translations say. And then it goes into, you destroy those who tell lies. Right? What is the tattletale of the heart? The mouth, what we say, how we say it, what comes out of our lips tells on our heart and the condition of our heart. And then the Lord abhors the violent and treacherous people. See, if you group it together, a violent and treacherous people, it's not those who are super, super crazy bad, murderers only. He says people and says that's the type of heart that exists is a violent and treacherous heart. And that's, that's the kind of heart I had before Jesus changed it. And if Jesus changed your heart, that's the kind of heart you had before he changed it. But we wouldn't have been aware of that if we didn't have this high and lofty view of God that he is holy. Amen? We need him. 
and David, David knows that. David knows that if, if he was judged on his own merit, if he was judged by his own sin, he would not be able to measure up. But God has, has wrapped him in his love and forgiveness. And God, God can plead the case on David's behalf now. He lets the blood speak for him. That leads to number three. Number three is, if we have a high view of God, it reminds us that he is our righteousness. See, here's the great part of it, right? This is a really bad, bad section of Scripture, how bad and wicked, wicked people and God hates evildoers. Oh, what, what's next? What's next? Well, he's our righteousness. That that's continues our high view of God. He's our king, right? He is holy, and he's our righteousness because we really, really need that, and he's really, really loving. Look at the passage, uh, verses 7 through 8. Then, then he, he has this, this but transition, but... But God, right? But I enter your house by the abundance of your faithful love. How does David enter? On his own merit? Because his heart is better than the wicked people? No, not at all. He enters because of God's faithful and abundant love. He says, I bow down towards your holy temple in reverential awe of you. Lord, lead me in your righteousness. Because of my adversaries, make your way straight before me. So we just looked at the character and fate of the wicked. Now we contrast them with this condition of the righteous. I want you to think about this, this child's freedom, this childlike freedom. When we come to faith in God, he gives us this freedom and we, he, he adopts us as sons and daughters. We're now heirs to his kingdom. That's why it's a personal, he is our king, not just a king. He is our king and we are co-heirs with him in his kingdom. And like my children at home, it's, it's getting, it gets frustrating. I know as parents, I, I, I can hear my dad and mom's voice echoing and sounding in my head as I'm saying it to my children. Shut the door, shut the door, shut the door, in or out, right? In or, come on, you're, you're letting in the bugs, mosquitoes are out. You're trying to encourage them to shut the door and not shut the door on each other's fingers and all that stuff. But, but my, my children... My children do not have to come to my front door and ring the doorbell. My children do not have to come to the front door and knock on the door. My children can come and go as they please. And they can enter my home with confidence because my home is their home. You see how God has done when, when he gives us a righteousness that's from him? He adopts us. We become his children and we can enter his house by the abundant favor of and love of our God. God's favor is upon us in that. You don't come and go on your own merit, but on the favor of our Father. And you think about this need for a righteousness. Because we are wicked, because our heart is far from God, we have a need to, to come to Him empty of anything we could say is good in us, and certainly empty of anything that was bad in us, and to lay ourselves humbly before him with that emptiness, saying, God, I need you to fill me up with you. I need your righteousness to clothe me. When I, when I stand before God on judgment day, I need to look clean and be clean. And what does Christ do when we, when we exhibit faith and trust in him? He takes his robe of righteousness, his purity, and he wraps that thing around us, making us pure too. Not because you have it figured out. Not because you did all the right things but because you came to him in humility and embraced and believed in his love and his forgiveness. God is good. He is our righteousness. We have to have a lofty view of him and a reverence for him, a humble adoration to him. And at the end of that, we seek to be led by his righteousness. 
God, I, I know I have your righteousness now, but now what? Now D David goes in, he says, Lord, lead me in your righteousness. Because of my adversaries, make your way straight before me. God, I, I want to follow you. I want to be led by you. I want to live and operate as someone who is an heir of Christ and righteous by him. Number four, a high view of God reminds us that he is a just God. He is a just God. And we talked about that a little bit already, right? Why do we need a righteousness that's not our own? Because he is just. Because he is just. And there is a punishment, a consequence for our sin. Look at the next passage, the next part here, verses 9 through 10. For there is nothing, nothing reliable in what they say. Destruction is within them. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. Punish them, God. Let them fall by their own schemes. Drive them out because of their many crimes, for they rebel against what? You. They rebel against you. You know, thinking about kids, this, this is not, David is not like a little, a little kid trying to tell on his sibling for taking a toy. He's not going, Dad, so-and-so. He's not doing that. He's going with a, a heart that, that grieves ha, and has grieved over his own sin and shame and, and separation from God and now is grieving that the world continues to rebel against God. He doesn't go to God and say, God, they're so wicked, they're so horrible to me. He says, they are rebelling against you. And, and I want you to think about, there's, there's kind of three aspects of judgment seen here. First is exposure, right? And that's verse 9. He, he kind of exposes there's nothing reliable in what they say. There is. We're viewing this. There's nothing reliable in what they say. Destruction is within them. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. So they're, they're wicked, and they're trying to cover it all up by flattery. So there's exposure. And then what happens? Well, there's a collapse that happens, a punishment and collapse. Look at verse 10. It says, punish them, God. Let them fall. How? By their own schemes. How often do we, do we collapse, right? We, we collapse and we, we, kind of are, we are our own undoing. That's what he's saying here. They're, they are their own undoing. They try their hardest. They work their way. And we've, we've talked about this before. They're trying to claw their way to the top on their own, kicking and screaming and fighting. But they can never get there. And they will fall by their own schemes. They will, they will try to work and earn and be, be who they need to be, but they will never make it to where they should be. They will fall. And finally, what happens? What happens when they kick and scream? What happens when we kick and scream and try to drag our way to the top on our own and never let him do it for us? You're driven out. Drive them out because of their many crimes, for they rebel against you. It's expulsion. They'll be expelled away. And I want you to think this here. We will all stand. Every one of us will stand before God one day. And we will all have to give an account. And you may come with bloody fingers and torn off fingernails and dirt everywhere because you are clawing and trying to itch out of that hole on your own. And God will say, you never, ever knew me and I never knew you. Depart from me. Depart from me. Because you still have your wickedness on you. And then there are those who have the scars from having done that and tried that. But they have come standing before God Almighty and let the scars of the cross speak and plead their case that the righteousness of God has been put on them, and that when, when they are judged, they, God will see Jesus, and he will say, well done, good and faithful sinner, or, or <laughs> good and faithful servant, who was a sinner, <laughs> right? Servant. 
Now enter the joy of your master. We were all good and faithful sinners, weren't we? At some point. Now we want to be a servant. Number five. Having a high view of God reminds us that he is a refuge and a treasure worthy of praise. He wraps it up in 11 and 12. says, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. He right, turns this around again to God. Let them shout for joy. May you shelter them, and may those who love your name boast about you. For you, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him with a favor like a shield. There is a hope and a joy that only comes from God. There's a security and a satisfaction that only comes from him. He turns our cries of distress. Notice that in verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice and let them what? Shout for joy forever. Remember earlier when we, when we were shouting with piercing cries to God? Now he says, because our God has, has answered, because our God has heard, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them shout for joy forever. He's turned our cries of distress into shouts of joy because nothing compares to him. And there is no God like our high and exalted God. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your love and your grace. We thank you that we... We've been given a righteousness through Jesus Christ that is not based on anything we could ever accomplish or do, but it's based on what he finished and endured on the cross and through the resurrection. God, I mean, we have a high and, and lofty view of you and not, not diminish you and who you are, but, but lift you up. And God, as we lift you up, may we decrease. May we humble ourselves to be your faithful servants. May we walk in righteousness, knowing that you go before us to lead us and guide us. And God, as we cry out to you, help us to wait and watch expectantly, knowing, God, that you are going to answer us because you are our Father, our King. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.